Welcome to episode one of Sharp's Corner. This week, we will be interviewing acclaimed coach Martin Dugard. All right, hi, Coach Sharp here. Uh, welcome to our first episode of Sharp's Corner, and it is my great pleasure to introduce our very first guest, Martin Dugard. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I get to brag about you because okay. that's part of how okay. this works. Uh, so we're going to list some of the accolades uh, that this gentleman has. 13 Trinity League titles, five CIF championships, three team state championships, four individual state champions or championships, and uh, also I might add that you have written for multiple publications about running, such as Outside, Sports Illustrated, and Runner's World, uh, not to mention your best-selling book, To Be a Runner. I am honored to say that we have been friends for 12 years now, and yeah, about and and as a coach of a divisional rival, I got to experience <laughs> what an exceptional coach you are firsthand. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, my first question will be: Did your journey to be a writer, which it seems is always intertwined a bit with endurance sports, influence your desire? in any way to also coach at some point because you had this career in writing and then what I always loved about yeah. you is you never had to coach. That was like a, you decided, like, I want to do this. I love to coach. Um, it, yeah, it kind of came through like that. I um, I became a writer professionally. You know, I left the corporate world um, in my late 20s to be, begin writing full-time. Um, and because I covered mostly endurance sports at the start, so I covered a lot of marathons, a lot of triathlons, um, adventure racing, um, it was, it kind of got in my head, to, you know, how people did certain things. Um, but because I had competed at the, the high school and the collegiate level and, you know, ran, you know, marathons and did triathlons and adventure races as well into my early 30s, um, you know, that was, you know, the methodology of coaching was, was always something that I was trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my kids were young, I coached, uh, you know, AYSO soccer and I coached Little League. And as much fun as I had with that, uh, I didn't, part of me began saying, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, but what I'd really l- love to do is coach running, just because it's, it's something I knew. And so when my oldest son was uh, a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. he was a lacrosse player, and he wanted to transfer to this, from the school he went to, to the public school he went to, to a new private school that was opening up because they had a new up-and-coming lacrosse program. And so... Uh, you know, we were very much public school people. I never imagined my kid going to a private school. But as we were taking the campus tour... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm inferring the name of this school, possibly? J. Sarah. J. Sarah Catholic <laughs> High School, a brand new school. Yeah. And uh, as we were taking the campus tour, uh, I was introduced to the athletic director. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? Uh, I, you know, I've been a runner my whole life. Um, if you're a cross-country coach, um, needs any help, I'd love to be an assistant just to kind of get out there every day. And he told me, he said, well, we don't have a cross-country coach right now. Do you want the job? And, just like that. And I mean, that's exactly how I became a coach, just like that. I don't think it gets any easier. Oh, I, I love that story. I yeah. mean, that's a great story. And the fact that, like, you were willing to help out anyway. Yeah. And then it just accidentally into that. Well, obviously, you had a, you know, very successful run in your time, you know, at J. Sarah. So, um, you know, one of the things I'd like to mention, too, yeah. is... Our sport, to me, is kind of a very unique sport. Technically speaking, we were rivals, right? So oh, right, like, yeah. But in our sport, that actually, that wasn't a barrier to us actually being really good friends. And I, there were times when you'd be on the podium yep. and you'd invite us over yeah. and say how much yeah. you appreciated having us there, which I love and appreciate of our sport. And we tried to do the same with you guys because the reality is it was a motivator. You know what I mean? And I loved it. Uh, well, I, I think 
we're all competitors. And so um, you, you respect everybody, but the people you respect most are the people who are a threat, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially in competition. Yeah. So, um, you know, I should say something too. You know, when I first began coaching, I think I think a lot of people do this because, you know, if you grow up as a runner mm -hmm. and, you, and you've had, I had a number of, between high school and college, I had probably six different coaches. I kind of thought I knew inherently had a coach. And one of the great things that came to me was I literally knew nothing when I began coaching. And it, it was through those LA84 clinics. It was talking to people like you. It was talking to people like Doug Souls and just kind of picking people's brains to see what worked for people that I, you know, that's how I constructed my own methodology. Yeah. But those LA84 clinics. They're I, mean, the best. I went to a bunch of those. Also Runner's Workshop. I don't know if you remember yep. when they yep. used to go. They had a close association with that same group. So like, you know, Tim would come up from sure. Mossack with his yeah. crew and give these great presentations. And I learned so much about Los Angeles, California, cross country and track and field because sure. I grew up in Michigan. So that was important for me to begin my understanding of courses, the famous courses, Mount Sac, things sure. like that. So I, yeah. I mirror exactly what you're saying. Those were great places to learn. Yeah, incredible, yeah. All right, so I thought that I would always start a little bit, obviously after you know hanging out with uh, some questions that I think, you know, there's a, there's a world out there that surrounds our sport and it's coaches, athletes, and parents sure. to me. Yeah. And so I thought we'd always start with some opening questions that maybe address some of those things. So the first question I like to ask is, what advice do you have for coaches, both new coaches and those wishing to take it to the next level? Yeah, um, study. It, you know, and um, you know, beneath this desk, there's a little bookshelf, and I have, I have binders of other people's programs you know, that I refer back to. I've got, I've got books, um, and there's not a day goes by when I'm planning a workout that I don't refer back to something that I've learned. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe they lean a little bit on Runner's World, or maybe they buy a copy of Joe V Hill's, you know, Road to the Top, or, sure. or something. And then that becomes their Bible. But I think if if you um, if you really open yourself up to study, and if you really open yourself up to learning about about the methodology of coaching, you kind of put your own stamp on it. But you can't do that unless you're open to really doing the research and doing the investigation. Um, Jeremy Matern, who used to coach down here and who's now up in Northern California, I remember he said that he makes it a point to uh, read at least 15 minutes every single day about running. Wow. 15 minutes every day, yeah. no matter what. I thought, that is a great habit. And yeah. it's not going to eat up your whole day. But at the same time, you're going to learn something new at some point, no matter what. No, that's, so. that's great advice, obviously. Um, what advice would you have for athletes, both new athletes and those who wish to take it to the next level? Be consistent. I think, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think that... Um, one of the most frustrating things for me as a coach is when you have someone who's talented and who doesn't show up every day, and so that then they get hurt. They're trying to do too much when they come back, or they just stay average. They don't fulfill the potential, um, or it's the same thing as you know that kid who is kind of maybe your eight or your nine in cross country, but who you know says, "I coach. I want to be. I want to be top five. I want to be scoring," but then they don't show up every day. They don't. They miss the long run. They miss. You know, they they miss. Let's say just one practice a week. One, but but that one day adds up. You know, over the course of a twenty-two week evolution, which is the typical training cycle for a full cross country season, that's twenty-two days you've missed. Yeah. That's three weeks of practice that they, you have not taken advantage of. So yeah, I would tell people show up every day, do the work, and that's one of the most profound things is when you have the people who do show up every day, and if, if they start off as you know average 
and you don't even notice them at first because they're so um, kind of below your radar. And all of a sudden you realize that they're showing up every day, they're doing the work, and all of a sudden when they'll, they have that race, that breakthrough race that all of a sudden you, you know, they know it, you know it, and all of a sudden there's somebody who's on your radar and you pay attention to them. Some of my favorite stories. I love that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they just are. I mean, yeah. we've got one of those this year. That like, And it seems like you find at least one every year, right? Yeah. I love those stories. Uh, and then what advice do you have for parents? You know, being a parent, I think today is probably a little different than yeah. it was back when you and I were young and sure. doing it. So what advice would you give to parents? Leave me alone. <laughs> 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 you know, I, no, I, every, every, I, don't, I do not know a single coach who is out to get a runner, who's out yeah. to make someone uh, less. You yeah. know, our job every day is to make someone as good as they can be. So when you get that parent who, uh, I don't mind being questioned, you know, but, but at the same time, I don't want someone to say, oh, you know, we, we like what you're doing here, but we're gonna hire this assistant coach to, you know, this private coach to help, you know, on the side. Mm. Or, you know, people who, you know, all of a sudden they, they come up with all these ideas about workouts that we could be doing in addition to what we're already doing. Um, you know, you know, I've been a parent of, you know, with three boys, they've all done athletics in, you know, whether it be running or, uh, you know, lacrosse or swimming. And I learned a long time ago that as a parent, I, I, I am my best advocate for my child by just letting the coach coach. And, and, and again, I've never, even, at times where I've been upset with the way somebody else has coached my child, um, just I just have remained quiet and uh, and realized that the person is not trying to sabotage my kid in any way, shape, or form, which mm. is something none of us want to do. We all want to win, yeah. and even if your kid is is a mean-spirited little jerk, um, if if we can mold them in a way that they're going to help the team, you know that's it's it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, great advice. All right, and if you're willing to offer, uh, what were maybe some of your early mistakes as a coach and what did you learn from them? Uh, I think the, one of the biggest early mistakes I had was not having a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew, I knew the, the rough structure of the season, you know, you know the, the old, old school, you know, base phase, you know, the, the pyramid, we have the wide base and you're going for the high peak. Um, you know, maybe maybe tapering too much too soon, little things like that, but but really not having a written plan. And so every day when I, every time when I start my season, I, I write a rough season plan, and then I then I alter it every day. But right. the the biggest, but and it, and you have to within that plan, you can't just try to make fast runners. You have to have objectives, and and I like to dream big. I tell my kids flat out. Um, you know, I'm a Trinity League coach. It's like, here are our goals for this year. Win Trinity League, win CIF, win state. And the first time I said that to my teams, they looked at me like I was a madman. But within three years, we won Trinity League, we won CIF, we won state. And we did it three years in a row. Yeah. And then if you tell a kid as a freshman, um, you know, like Anthony Grover a couple of years ago and Andrew Burkhart before him, I told them when they were very young, like, you have the potential, I'm going to make you a state champion. And they look at you like... You're a crazy man, but if you if you can get that through their heads that we're going to do the impossible, but you have to do all the hard work. I'm going to guide you through it, and then they see a little bit of success and they kind of start buying into it. That's that's when you get that thing. But the biggest mistakes I've made have been, you know, I'm I'm a very laid back guy, and I'm not organizationally 
uh, one of those people you, you look at and say, oh, he's a great administrator. Mm -hmm. I'm not. But I've realized that when it comes to coaching, I need to be very anal and meticulous and organized. And every workout has a purpose. Everything gets logged. Everything gets measured. Um, and before I began doing that, I didn't realize that the process of me holding myself accountable for how the season is structured and the workouts are structured, um, the kids can pick up on it. So yeah. if, I'm, if I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants, they think that nobody's really in charge, and then they don't, they don't feel like anyone's guiding the program. And uh, the more I get organized, the more that I plan my seasons, the more that I set big goals, the more success we had. It just became, and it got to the point where, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a Doug Souls, and Doug's just amazing with what he's done, but I love that feeling you get when you get to a big meet, whether it's in cross country or track, and you see your kids walking to the line, and every other team is looking over at them, like, right. oh shit, they're here. Yep. You know, that's, I love that. that's the most awesome feeling in the world. Mm. You know, yeah. I love that. Oh, it's, so. it's funny you're talking about, you know, dreaming big and the crazy. So it made me think, uh, are you aware of our um, sort of, in our program, our little inside joke with, uh, you know, the reporter Eric Bowl? Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He calls it crazy town. Oh, really? <laughs> right. That, like, he was just like, I don't even remember the genesis of it. Probably have to yeah. ask Eric at some time, but that's really become ingrained because we kept talking about all the crazy things we were going to do. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Eric who, who said it first, yeah. but he's like, are you guys going to crazy town this year? Oh, and yeah. I just love the way that sounds, yeah. you know, because it's kind of a fun way to say this is the goal, but it sounds like you have the same thing. Like this is, this is where crazy town is located yeah. and this is where we're going this year. Do something impossible. Yeah. By the way, Eric is, I'm, <laughs> his... Between him and Rich Gonzalez, the, the level of minutia they know about oh our sport yes. just is mind-blowing. I mean, I can barely remember the names of my own kids. Well, those guys know the names of, like, the number five runner on, you know, almost every team in, in Southern California. Um, but I like, you know, that like that crazy town idea. I like the idea that you can you set new goals and new dreams, you yeah. know? Like, like when Anthony went to... Uh, um, Nike Cross Nationals last year was the first time that as a coach I had taken an athlete there. Yeah. But I came away from that <clears> race saying, I'm going to take a team here. You know, and that's my goal now, now that I'm at Santa Margarita, is to is to get that program into the national level. Because yeah. we got the, we've got the horses right now. And and again, it's the same thing. I've got a really great group of freshman boys. And I sat them down a couple weeks ago with, you know, my, my other coach, uh, my fellow coach, Mike Powers. We sat the team down and said, look, it, we're going to win state. And we're going to win it before you know it. So wrap your head around that because we're going to do what we have to do. And again, they gave us that look like, like we have no idea what that means. And mm -hmm. it's like, and when we win it though, I told them when we sat down, we sat down in the boardroom at the school in the, the big conference room in the athletic department. And I said, you're going to look back on this day at some point and you're going to say, oh, that was the day that changed the course of my athletic life because that's the day we went from just being participants to being people that are chasing a goal, that are chasing a dream in a working very specifically towards being a champion. Yeah, that means I, I love that moment. All right, for our next section, um, when I first dreamed up, you know, a show where I got to do my favorite thing, hang out and talk to coaches. Um, these are actually the original 10 questions. Um, you know, I've expanded a little since then, but I, uh, I thought I could always end every episode with asking these 10 questions, which are, you know, I think very applicable for coaches and, um, you know, just kind of answer whatever comes to you first. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, I really want this to be honest and fun, you know, so just kind of have at it. First question, what motivates you as a coach? 
obviously we talked a little, so I mean, we may there be some overlap, but when I say that to you, you can refer back, but maybe there's yeah. even something new that comes to you. Well, you said the first thing that pops my mind, and that's winning. Yeah. That's it. So I will say I love developing runners. I love I love the, the trajectory of the season, that, that evolution. Um, I love watching people have breakthroughs, um, but there's nothing like standing on top of the podium. And uh, I remember one time I, I was, I overheard uh, a football coach talking about my program, and he was saying, uh, you know, cross country doesn't know its place. And I just happened to walk in as he said that. And I was, a little, I was being a little glib. I go, yeah, our place is on top of the podium. And, and once you recognize that, that is your go-to, mm -hmm. um, the team will follow you. And that, to me, that's, it's a huge motivator. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What concerns you as a coach? I think um, what I mean by that in some sense is yeah. like today. You know, like I said, today is, we're, we're coaching in a different time. Yeah. So what, what concerns you as a coach these days? Oh, um, you know, there's all those little things you think about. You know, are we doing too much mileage? Are we not doing enough mileage? Are we, do we need more mornings? Do we, are we not doing enough sharp speed? Are we doing too much sharp speed? It's just, it's the details of coaching that concern me most. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've got to say that this is my 16th year as a coach, and the kids are pretty much the same. I mean, times have changed. We, you know, we have societally, some of the bad jokes I might have told 15 years ago, I, I wouldn't even dream of yeah. telling these days. But, um, it, you know, as long as we can get out there and, and, and uh, bend, the, <laughs> bend these people to our will. No, but no, take, take a young freshman who, who is unsure of themselves mm -hmm. and, and, and convince them through hard work and discipline and daily consistency that they are great. And, and that they can be even greater. And, you know, and I'm not going to say, today I want you to run fast. I'm going to tell you, today I want you to run faster. Um, that's the stuff that really gets me going. Yeah. Uh, number three, what is your favorite drill, practice rep, or workout? Ooh, I love the Michigan. Michigan's my favorite. You okay. Know, and, um, and I, I will Do you want to maybe describe that? Sure. You can't be sure everyone knows. Um, yeah, so so it, it takes many many forms, but idea if you do it on the track, it's it's a mile at ten k pace. Mm -hmm. Then you go, you leave, and you tempo for for a k or for a mile, mm -hmm. and you come right back on the track. You, you know, just a few seconds walk rest, then you get right back into it. Then it's a twelve hundred at closer to eight k to you know four k pace. But then you go tempo again, then you come back, and then you do an eight hundred, and that's more like five k pace. And then you go to it again, and then you come back and do a 400 all out. Yeah. Now we we do a variation of that at Santa Margarita where we we do it off the track, and we do it on a, a big grassy loop where you do basically um, three laps, two laps, one lap, then a half lap. But each lap is 0.4, so you're actually doing 1.2, then 0.8, then 0.4 and then when you do the half lap it's, it's just 0.2 so you're doing a little bit more which is better for cross country I think right you know I'm a big believer that strength plus speed equals success mm -hmm. um, and so that workout I like but it, I love I love hills I think I think whenever you get too far away from hills you get you you don't just get stronger you don't just improve your form on hills but you there's a mental toughness that comes when people run hills well and run downhill well and yeah. so we see it a lot at Mount Sac. You get you get 
kids who know how to run the switchbacks, they know how to run poop out, they know how to run reservoir, not because they run the Mount Sac course every day in practice. It's because their bodies are so in tune with, you know, leaning into a hill, getting your chin up, getting your hips forward, you know, using your arms, all those little things that come into doing it well, it's a, it just gives it a mental toughness. Yeah. And then, what is your least, oh, sorry, what is your least favorite drill practice rep or workout? It's because I know, yeah. what I mean by this is I, it, sometimes there are things we do that, that maybe we don't love, but we know they're important. Right. Or it could also just be something like, oh, we used to do this, but we don't need more because of this. You know, um, you bring up a good point, and that's one of the reasons I, I, I log every workout, because sometimes you don't realize you're doing it, but the least favorite thing, you tend to kind of drop it, yeah. you know? And you need to kind of keep those things in, and, and I'll, I'll look back and go, man, we haven't done core in three weeks. What is wrong with me? Or um, I don't like wickets, I, and I, I know we need to do them, but, and here's why I don't like them. It's not that they're bad, because I know that every time we do them, the kids get better. It's, it's a hassle to take all those wickets, and even the speed ladders, and set them up, and you know, you know, march off however many feet you want between the ladders, and the, or the hurdles, and, and then you gotta pick them up at the end. I mean, yeah. how much time does that take? It takes five minutes out of my life, yeah. but it's, it's a task instead of just, you know, the fun part of coaching, which is you stand around and you BS with your athletes before the practice, and you talk to your coaches during the practice, and, and everyone's having fun, everyone's caught up in the moment. Actually having to do a task seems like it takes away from it. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing is, um, I'm a big believer in um, that our feet move fast every day, so whether we're doing just simple strides or we're doing hit 150s or we're doing sharp 200s with a 200 jog just to kind of get things moving, um, they have to be done every day. But you know, so, okay, let's say, let's say practice goes long. So the kids come back from a run, I'm looking at it, it's like they gotta get home, they gotta do their homework, they gotta eat, they gotta hydrate, all those, that checklist of things they have to do after practice and my long workout has, has kind of started cutting into that. Well, it's a temptation to say, uh, we're not gonna do strides today. We're not going to do hit 150s. We're not going to, we're not going to do 30, 60, 90s. You know, um, all those little things that you do to make it better. And I have to remind myself, it's like, why am I in such a hurry? It, we can take five extra minutes and do those little things that will make a difference at some point. And just because I have mismanaged the time, yes, I'm going to cut into their evening just a little bit more. But we still have to do that job, even though part of me wants to say, then eh, let's just go home. You yeah. know. Been in similar situations yeah. myself. Um, what is your favorite thing to see at a competition? Um, it depends upon the competition. You know, like at Woodbridge, I like. Uh, I, I don't like Woodbridge. What I, I mean, no, I, I like Woodbridge, but it's like, and I love George Varvis, but yeah. I don't like a flat course. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. I think cross country should be cross country. But at Woodbridge, I love that electricity of the people running under the lights and that little bit of film of dust that rises when you have all these people running at the same time and, and just the, the thunder and the charge of, of these kids just come off the line and you know making that push for home and, and the big crowds. Um, at Mount Sac, I get there early for Mount Sac every year just because I like to be at Mount Sac. To me, it is still the cathedral of cross country. I ran Mount Sac in 1978. Uh, when my family moved to California. Still two miles? It was, no, we just got up to three. Okay. And so I've got my finisher medal over there somewhere. <laughs> uh, it was third that day, it was third. Um, but you know, I just like that, I like that ele electricity. You know, the first race of the year is usually Laguna Hills. And there's a, 
I like to be the first person there, which means I'm the first per customer at Starbucks at mm -hmm. 5 a.m. I go straight to the course to set up the canopy, and I watch the sunrise, and I watch the, the other teams arrive. I watch the canopies get set in place. I watch the all of a sudden the the total quiet of the even, of the morning become just this buzz of electricity. And then, again, remember, it's the first race of the year, yeah. that first sound of the starting gun going off. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it just, it just charges me because you know, it's just the start of the season, the start of this odyssey. And uh, that whole process of just being in a race, watching everybody do what they do at the race, and then, um, you know, as a coach, it's like I try to be self-contained. I try to be this very laid back guy. And then all of a sudden I find myself, you know, at the top of a hill, you know, just screaming, just, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure if I ever saw a video of myself, what I look like is I yell for and at a runner, I, I would be appalled. But I can't help myself. I just I just get so caught up in the moment. And I've got to say, the minute I stop feeling that excitement about race day and that, and that excitement about cheering for a kid and, you know, when, when one of your kids does something great, uh, I remember Peter Harold when he won the Mount Sac relays in the 1600 a few years ago, you know, watching him, he was the last guy accepted. Into the, he was like, he was just a last minute addition. He wasn't even lined up on the track. He, there were so many people on the waterfall that he was literally one foot off the track. Yeah. Then he came, and, and him and Anthony Grover, went, they went 1-2 that day. Peter won. He had not been uh, successful that much in a, throughout his career. He'd always been number two to one runner or the other. And to watch him win that race, and then immediately after, immediately afterwards get a college scholarship from UCLA. I mean, what a day, yeah. you know? When, when I stopped getting excited about stuff like that was the day I quit. Yeah. I hear you, man. I feel the same way. Uh, what is your least favorite thing to see at a competition? Uh, there's not much I don't like about race day, I gotta say that. Here, here's the thing, here's what I hate to hear. Um, I hate to hear that second gun that means the runners are getting called back because somebody fell. Yeah. Because I always dread that it's one of my guys. Um, and at the state meet one year, it was one of my guys, you know, and people don't recover from that, you know. When it's, yeah, you can you can physically get up and walk back to the line and get ready to race, but if you have sprinted fifty yards, someone has knocked you down, and people have stepped all over you, you're not the same runner, no. you know. And it's a little bit of shock. A little bit of shock, and uh, you know, I just when when you see it, it's like oh, we're here to win. Uh, you know, now it's going to take another level of effort, and we need, need to make sure maybe the six or the seven is going to step up. And one other thing I hate, probably even more than that, mm -hmm. that thing that I'm sure every coach hates, you know, you're standing, let's say, at the two-mile mark at Mount Sac, and your runners coming past, and you're counting your runners. You know, there's my one, there's my two, there's my three, and you're counting the other team's runner. Mm -hmm. There's my four. Now, on a good day, your five is right there, right with your four. On a bad day... You're waiting for that that five, yeah. And ten seconds go by, and thirty runners come through, and twenty seconds, thirty seconds, maybe a minute. That wait for the five is horrible, and you know, when you finally see your five, if there's enough gap, yeah. you're cooked. You're not you're not gonna win. So it's that is it's bumming me out just thinking about I that. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I want to refrain from talking too much about you know our program. You're yeah. my guest, but you know, I, no, you're I gotta like say me. something. I gotta, yeah. So here's a moment. So I was standing atop of Reservoir 2009 CIF Championships, mm -hmm. and I'm counting, 
and we're ahead. We're winning. You are in second place. Yeah. And that was, you had, I think you had Cammy and Amy that year. You were. We did. You were the bomb. And I'm looking from the top reservoir. I'm feeling so good about the fact we, and I watch my five enter the gauntlet, and all she has to do is maintain her position, and she doesn't kick. And she gets passed by two people. And I know in that minute that we just lost. So I knew it was that close. Yeah. And uh, you were like very close to me, and you knew that you had won. We didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. And you were celebrating. I thought, oh, <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> you know? And then you, then you remember at some point, it's like, okay, I feel terrible. But at some point, these are just, they're still just kids. Yeah. You know? Even though they've done something that, they, she didn't even know she'd done it. You know, she didn't, I'm never going to, she doesn't even know, I'm not going to say her name. She's never going to know that she's, yeah. she cost us that. But you just got to roll with it. It's, yeah. you win, you lose. You know, in contrast to that moment, um, you know, one where I really wasn't sure was 2015 with the boys. I remember that. I was standing next you to you. You were standing next yeah, to me. Yeah. And you even, you are the one who told me, you were like, coach, I think you just won. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, did. Yeah. Like in that moment, I was so unsure. I didn't want to like give myself false hope for a little bit. Yeah. So you and I have had a few moments yeah, yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where at different times, you know, if, whether it's Eric Bowl running over to like yeah, yeah. give us the inside on something that was close. I, you know, I, I like back in the day when, when you didn't have, I mean, I love finished results. I love the automatic stuff. But back when you had to wait for the piece of paper to yeah. get <laughs> stapled up, and I would I would kind of go over and always George Varvas was the one who was somehow in the, the middle of all the things. Yeah, and he he'd look at you if you did well, and he'd like, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 the, the one. You the got nod. you got the one. It's like yeah, yeah we did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. and you and then if you're one of the other teams who didn't win that year, yeah. like you notice them when that happens because right. suddenly yeah. they're doing the thing. Yeah, and yeah. You're like oh, <laughs> and that's how you know. Yep. Oh, what a great answer. Mm, that's why I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what would you say your catchphrase is as a coach? And, and, and what I mean, there might be several. Yeah. And this is like, if you're just real honest, even if you're not sure, what do you think kids would say your catchphrase is? You know, uh, I sign every email, keep pushing always, mm -hmm. because that's kind of my thing. But the stuff that they pick up on are the things that I yell and practice. Um, like if they're supposed to jog the interval and they're walking, mm -hmm. it's like, jog, please, you know? Um, and it's any of a number of, uh, it's, it's usually the stuff that you say in practice that they're kind of, you know, yeah. they're saying behind your back. It's stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it, my, I used to swear more than I do now. So, <laughs> so my, okay. catch, my catchphrase back in like 2006, <laughs> it might have been more like an F-bomb, but uh, uh, it, you can't do that anymore. No. No. No, so. no. I love that. I, I find, too, the kids keep me honest. I, yeah. I now ask every so often, if you guys had to guess, what's my catchphrase? Oh, yeah. Because I think it keeps me honest, too, because that's what they're hearing. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so I use that as a way to modify my behavior, too, yeah. in case it's not what I want them to be yeah. the takeaway. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. What are they going to remember about practice? Right. Yeah. Uh, what is your best memory as a coach? Ooh. I've, I've had a lot of great ones. I mean, I think first and foremost, no. Oh, I'll tell you this one. Okay. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me cry. It's, it's my best. So, you know, the championships, you know, being at... You know, being at nationals, uh, standing on top of the podium at Woodward, watching my runner step on the podium. My favorite moment, and I, I'm very Irish, so if you, I might just lose it here. Yeah. But uh, 2000, 2011, 2011, 2012, no, 2010, we, um, 
No, I think they're back. 2007. Um, my son, who had been the lacrosse player who came over, um, decided he was going to run cross country yeah. that year. So, and he just wanted to get in shape for. He didn't want to play football. He just wanted to get in shape for lacrosse. Uh, he turned out to be my captain. He turned out to be one of my top runners. You know, just you know, very natural runner. So we were at Mount Sac, and uh, the boys' team. We weren't in sweeps, but we were just in the regular age group. I mean, um, you know, grade race. And the boys were very upset because they had done fraternity league a couple of weeks earlier, and they, I think we had of the thirty-five people in the race that day, we had my top seven were probably like 28th through 35th. And we got, you know, pity applause at the end. Good job, yeah, nice. And so they were very, very upset. And I knew they were better than that. They had just run poorly that day. But anyway, so I was at Mount Sac and where my boys ran and, and I, you know, when the race is so close together, you can't get back to the tent and yeah. still be there for your girls. So what I did was um, I watched the boys from the top of Reservoir then um, I went back down, I watched um, what, what I did, you know, anyway, top of reservoir, stayed at the top of reservoir. I didn't have time to go down for the girls' race, so I just stayed up there. And I, I watched the boys finish from up top, as you can. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my cell phone rang during the girls' race as the girls were coming up reservoir. And I looked at it, and I thought it was my, my youngest, who at the time was, you know, like nine. Mm -hmm. And he liked to just call me and say, I'm bored. Can, yeah. I, can we go home? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. And I looked at it and I, and I ignored it, you know, and I just cheer for the girls. And uh, so I called back after the race was over. And it turns out it was my oldest son who was calling me. And he said, Dad, we won. Wow. Yeah, that was so long ago. I'm still, still crying about it. But it was that, that moment where these kids who didn't believe in themselves did something they didn't think they could do. Yeah. And to hear the joy in his voice was fascinating. It was just wonderful. The best moment ever. That yeah. is awesome. So, I love those yeah. moments. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Sure. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. I can feel it. I'm, yeah. I'm getting hit with some shrapnel over here, coach. Yeah. You should see me in my banquet sometimes. The people wait for, <laughs> wait for me to cry at the banquet. I think you and I may share that. We'll write it off to the Irish thing, right? Yeah. Um, my ninth question is, what is the thing you would most like to learn more about next? It's going to, unless you're a coach, you don't get it. Yeah. Two things. They're the same thing. Um, lactate threshold and aerobic threshold. Yeah. I just, I don't, um, people talk a lot about critical velocity and stuff like that, which I still am trying to wrap my head around, but I believe that the, that a distance runner gets better when they can operate best at the, the two thresholds, mm -hmm. you know, lactate threshold, aerobic threshold. And um, I don't have them really figured out yet. I mean, I can, I can approximate what I want from those, and I, and I know what it looks like when I get it. Yeah. But um, to be able to say very specifically, this is the pace I want you to hit, this is the workout we're going to do to affect the change I want to see changed. Yeah. Um, I'm not there yet. And that's getting, again, and that's the great thing about coaching is there's always something new you can learn. I mean, uh, you go back, you look at Jack Daniels' running formula, a lot of stuff, it's very simple wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I went through a, a phase where it's like, all I wanted to do was read Daniels. And then I thought I was too good for Daniels for a few years because I was doing, was doing V Hill and I was doing, 
you know, who else? Cantona. Um, and then I kind of went back to Daniels just to kind of take a, just as a refresher. I think I was actually just looking for a VDOT chart. Yeah. I was reading some of the stuff. It's like, this is the same stuff. It's just packaged a different way. Packaged a different way. And it's really smart stuff. And I know that that's what they're doing on NAU right now because, you know, Mike Smith worked with Daniels. So, yeah. you know, that's, um, you know, it's just that knowledge. It's just, it's just wrapping your head around the physiology. I mean, I'm a writer by trade. I have no background in science or biology or physiology. So for me to learn these things and to really understand them, I think is, is crucial to my team's success, but it also makes me a more well-rounded person just to understand why we do what we do. Because nothing, no part of any workout ever should not have a purpose. If, yeah. we're, if we're just out there, you know, logging junk miles just to, you know, put some miles on our legs, or if we're just out there um, to do a workout because somebody said, oh, this is the workout you need to do. If I don't understand why we're doing that workout, I'm doing the kids that are service, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, you know, it's, you're kind of making a joke out of yourself. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. All right, and the last of my 10 questions. How would you like to be remembered? Um, tell you the truth, as a nice guy. I want my kids to, the, the kids that run for me or, uh, you know, we as coaches spend more time with our athletes than teachers, teachers hate to hear this, but they, we spend more time with our athletes than teachers spend with these people. Yeah. I think we make more of an imprint on them than almost anybody else they, were, they will encounter at the high school level. So if I come out there, if I am petty and vindictive and if I am small, um, it says horrible things about me, but, but I'm going to imprint that on my kids, you know. But if I'm magnanimous, if, if, you know, if, if we lose, if I, if I take it well or, or, if we, or it becomes a teachable moment, then I think that's, that's a really good thing. Um, you know, I, I want to be... We, we all had that coach or that teacher where we go, oh, he's such a dick, you know? And I'm yeah. sure a lot of people say that about me. But, <clears throat> but, you know, the kids who I coached my first year in 2005, well, they're in their mid-30s now, you know? And, and I hope that some of the stuff that we did in practice carries over to their life because I'm a firm believer that running in particular and the process we go through as coaches and athletes to build towards a goal, teaches the kind of life lessons of, you know, perseverance, uh, integrity, you know, and believe me, you know, there, there's no greater integrity than a, than a sport with the only thing that matters is the stopwatch and your, your own personal uh, level of, of effort. Um, all those things transfer over into your job, into your, your stick-to-itiveness with, with a task, uh, with a marriage, you know, with any relationship. Sure. And, and if I can teach those lessons just by the fact that I am a nice guy and I have uh, a positive mental attitude and I pass it along to people. Um, I remember there was a guy that was one, one of my coaches in college, his name was Tom Messina. And he, I think he's up in Santa Clarita right now, but he, and like I said, I had my dad, we moved a lot when I was, my dad was an Air Force pilot, so we moved a lot when I was in high school. So I had four different high school coaches and I had two different college coaches, maybe three. Um, but the one who really stuck with me is Tom Messina, and he had this kind of sly, uh, sarcastic attitude, but he was, you know, and at first he thought he was just 
not, you know, like he didn't care. But then you realize he cared, cared immensely. Right. And uh, that, I didn't realize, but that's how, when I became a coach, that's what I patterned my coaching on. And, but over the years, I've done that, but I've gotten less sarcastic and more uh, just upbeat, right. you know? And I find that if I'm upbeat at practice, I'm upbeat in the rest of my life. It just, it just carries over, so. There's like a mirroring effect almost. Yeah, so if you want to be remembered as a nice guy, it also means you're, you're being good to yourself and you know, you're, having a good, you're having a good time. Yeah. So. What follows is the extra bit we did just for the podcast version. All right, so Marty, I appreciate you sticking around for a little extra with yeah. me. Overtime. Overtime. Yeah, yeah, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, you and I have talked about this sure. you know, on our own, but the extra challenges inherent in trying to put together a championship team in a small school environment. Sure. And if, you know, whatever comes to mind first, you know, what, what, what do you think? Uh, bodies. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, be careful what you, what you wish for, but I always, when I see coaches that have, let's say, 70 guys and 70 girls on their team, yeah, all I can think of is like, boy, how cool would it be if I had that many people on my team? We, you know, you, you just have depth. I mean, uh, it's, it's one thing to have a, a good top seven, okay? But I feel like you don't get great until you have a good top 12. And then, so that way when people come to practice everybody, every day, people, A, they show up because they know they might lose their spot. Um, B, if they're trying to get into that top seven, they're gonna, come, they're gonna battle every day in practice. And when you only have five or six, I mean, here's a good example. At the state meet in 2013, we had won, we had th won three straight years. We'd won 10, 11, and 12. We had a very good chance. We had won CIF the week before. We had a very good chance of winning state. And, but I only had five, okay? As a matter of fact, at CIF finals the week before, two of the girls were wearing the wrong shorts and the official told them that they could not compete unless they changed their, when they did the God, uniform I check. I remember that. Yeah, mm. so they ran back to the tent and one of the girls was a little, she wasn't what I'd call big, but she was bigger than the little teeny right. tiny freshman that I had. Right. And they literally held up towels and they changed shorts. And so, so the two girls who whose stuff didn't match took the shorts of the two girls who had matching shorts. But that meant that those other two girls the, couldn't run. Couldn't run. Yeah. So I ran just five. As a matter of fact, I was waiting for the gun to go off, and those two girls came and stood next to me. I go, what? What are you? What are you doing here? And so um, we won. And that little teeny tiny freshman who was like, you know, you know, this big around, she literally was running down reservoir holding her shorts up with one hand. Um, which was great, but, when, yeah. but the next week at State, she had too many waffles at breakfast in the buffet, and she was oh, nervous. No. And she began projectile vomiting um, just as we were walking to the line. There's, you know where the porta potties are behind the starting line? I Woodward, do, yeah. There's a pine tree there, and she, I, every time I walk past that spot to this day, I remember her just turning her head and just waffles, waffles. <laughs> 15 minutes, you know, well, not 15 minutes, but a long time. Yeah. But to my, uh, to my embarrassment as a coach, so all of a sudden my, my five, and she was my five, she doesn't have the electrolytes to really do a quality race, and she's nervous. So that means my six and my seven are going to have to slide up and take the thing. I hadn't paid any attention to them all year. I was so focused on my five that I forgot about my six and my seven. Yeah. And if you have a small school program where you just have 
that, you know, there's a big drop off from your five to your six and bigger one from your six to your seven. You know, we lost. We finished fifth that year simply because I had not prepared my six and my seven to compete for a top spot. And I think that's one of the things you get with a with a small school program. You don't have that depth. And as a coach, you need to always be thinking of what if, what if my five gets the flu, yep. you know, where is the six capable? And, and so you can't ignore those people, you know, you can, when they come up to you and go, well, I've got, I've been a mispractice today because I've got, uh, I'm trying out for the school play. You have to find a way to get the workout done anyway, you know, and still let them try out for the school play because, you know, cross country runners are usually smarty pants and they're the kind of kids who like to do a lot of stuff. So yeah. you got to find a way. And I would say that that's even just kind of inherent almost in a lot of the small schools like we work at. Yeah. They're encouraged to do a variety sure. of things. You know what I mean? There's a smaller amount of resources. We yeah. refer to kids as resources, yeah. but you know what I mean. Sure. And you want to give them as well-rounded a life as possible at yeah. these type of institutions. So we have to learn how to work in that environment. Right. I don't think that's something that you know, a big public school needs to worry about. You're going to find, you know, 15, 16, 20 deep of kids that are all in on what you're doing. Sure, exactly. And, and it, yeah. yeah, and you can, um, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit afraid. Like if I, let's say I had 70 kids, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, part of me is afraid that I would take that as license to um, maybe raise the mileage a little bit more than I should, mm -hmm. knowing that some people might get hurt but we had enough people to kind of fill that spot. You know, it's almost like having a small program forces you to be um, more select in, in, in how you coach a workout. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, no, no, 100%. I, I feel like our resources are more valuable to us. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I, I mean, you know, I enjoy working in the environment that we do in the extra challenge, but I think that's probably good for me to always have at least some attention being focused on these resources are valuable. Right. How do I keep everyone healthy, but also keep pushing it to the point where we can generate consistent championship runs, sure. you know, in, in most years. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's one of the things I was going to get at too, just like you're saying, I mean, we'd love to be 12 deep, but the truth is those are the like, anomaly years right. and it forces us to start young i remember you said something earlier it made me think you know yeah we're we see them when they're freshmen and sophomores and right. we start whispering in their ears like okay yeah. you guys you have this amazing opportunity because you got to start early to right. try to weave it together so that it's there and yeah. they've done the work by the time they're juniors yeah. and seniors so i think we have to add and you really were saying this extra care you know every yeah. step of the way in yeah. order to get a, a team that can do those things yeah, you know, and the thing about it is too, um, and it, it, it's it's a more um, intimate environment. So I find very often that, um, you know, again, if you have a bunch of kids, you can't give everybody a lot of attention. Right. But if you have very few kids, you you not only have the opportunity to give them attention, you have to give them attention. So my coach's backpack is filled with all sorts of stuff that kids might need to to heal an injury. You know. I carry hair ties just in case a girl shows up for practice without a hair tie. I don't want her skipping practice because her hair's in her face. Oh, coach, I can't run because of my hair, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I always carry, um, you know, those little uh, pain balls, you know, the, the isolated uh, muscle stuff. I carry, you know, extra safety pins. I just make sure that I have all the stuff so that all they have to do is run. You know, yeah. if they have an ache or pain, I've got, I've got, I've got athletic tape, I've got uh, a foam roller, you name it. 
I've got all the coaches, stuff. man. Just, I'm, just I love that. yeah. But I think if you have a, a bunch of kids, you know, maybe somebody your coaches don't feel like they need to do that as much because, you know, the kid might maybe there's a team manager, maybe there's a mom who's going to do that for you. You know, it's, I think with a smaller program, the coach has to be everything. No, I, I agree. You know, it's funny. I joke about this with people all the time. Whenever I someone gets in my car, I go, I remind people, hey, I'm a coach. Just yeah. letting you know, my trunk is dedicated to coaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, whether yeah. it's a yeah. wheel or like yeah. measuring things. Oh, yeah. All those cones, things. Because yeah. like, I never know what I'm going to need. Or canopies. I or mean, canopies. How many, how many times have you driven around with two canopies in the back of your car? Just, you know, it's not like you're going to sit by the side of the road and, and have a picnic with your canopy. Yeah. It's, it's always there in case there's a cross country meet. No, that's right. Those little things you need to do. Um, trying to think if there's anything else like you can think of. Um, you know, one of the things I like to, and you brought it up, I was just going to use a, an example, like the idea that you really get to know everybody and there is a magic, you know, in yeah. that knowing you run as well, but you're talking about having stuff prepared. And this young gal who, uh, she has glasses and whenever she'd start to sweat, they'd slide down oh, to the yeah, tip yeah. of her nose and then she starts holding her head down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, so I just I just went online and ordered her a croquis, you know, yeah, like yeah, one day. Right, yeah. I mean, because I'd asked her a couple times and she just didn't do it. And yeah. it's like, whatever. It's yeah. like, what are those seven boxes is here? You know what I mean? You know what I used to do is, um, and I have, I get like, uh, you know, secondhand shoes. I mean, they're new shoes, but I yeah. just, I get them at a, at a <laughs> discount. And always have an extra pair of shoes, and because you know you you don't the the people's feet at a certain age or girls especially are kind of roughly the same within a size or two. Mm-hmm. So I would I would always have like a size seven or a size eight just around. Yeah. And people say, oh, coach, I forgot my shoes. Well, here you go. That's incredible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was good to have, and I kind of got out of the habit of it because kids kept walking away with the shoes, and then it got expensive to always be doing that. But. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but as a coach, I find that um, it, I don't. It, it just, just just seems like the amount of money you put back into your program, it doesn't feel like you're. You, you, it's nothing you begrudge. It's like sometimes you, you you're spending money for your program. And you go, why am I doing this? It's like because it's fun. It feels good. Yeah. You know, it it feels good to to buy things that are going to make your kids happy, or make your kids more successful and. You're never going to walk up and say, here's the receipt for all those Gatorades I bought or the, all the chocolate milks I bought. It's it's more like, hey, you guys like the chocolate milk? Good. You're recovering. You're going to be better for tomorrow's workout and you're drinking chocolate milk. And who doesn't like chocolate milk? Who doesn't like so, chocolate right? milk? So um, I'm just going to close you know, today with just kind of this thought. Um, I promised myself one thing that you know, when I was going to put together a show like this, there was only going to be people that I feel like are all in crazy passionate still in love with doing this thing you know and obviously you are that to the nines to the t's oh thanks so um you know i respect you greatly because of that because that's the thing i respect the most what i found is people who have true uh, true passion they do all the little things you know what i mean they study harder and and more than that the kids pick up on it so this show is definitely only going to have those people on it and uh, i'm so grateful that you were my first guest Thank oh, you. thanks. No, I mean, uh, like I said, we uh, we've competed against each other all these years, and somehow we build a friendship in the middle of that instead of a true rivalry. And um, you know, one of my favorite things about any meet is that moment where you show up a little bit early and you kind of walk around to the different canopies and you see all your old coaching friends and and you just talk shop and just to be able to talk shop it, here instead of at a meet, yeah. you know, 
is is fantastic. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Amazing. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for the first ever Sharps Corner podcast. Be well and take care.